So thank you so much for joining me on this next episode of the Scholar Homies podcast. The game is to be told, not sold, conversations with the soul. I am here with Doctora Vanessa Bustamante, AKA Homegirl Doctora. And I'm like so excited to be in this space with you and um, share some, some conversation with you. So tell me a little bit about your positionality and how it informs your work. Um, so that's a great question, I guess. Um, I'm in a lot of different places. So um, my positionality, I guess, is very fluid. Um, I feel like my favorite position is in the community. And that's where I I think I think that's what informs everything that I do. So I know, I mean, I've worked in college settings. I've been in higher education for 13 years. Um, I've been a student in higher education for, you know, 13 of those years or more actually um, after, you know, um, high school, right? Um, so I've been a student, I've been working in these spaces and I think the thing that informs my work the most is the work that I've done in my community. So with within El Partido de la Razonida, um, within Chola Pinup or OG Chola Pinup, uh, within, you know, Mecha, within other organizations, uh, Comisión Femenil. So it's just a lot of grassroots organizations that I've been a part of. And I think that informs my work because what I do is I do it for the people. I do it for the community. Um, even my learning um, experience, everything that I've learned is because I want to take it back to my community to teach people and to help people access um and persist in higher education too. Why is it important for us to share our counter stories? So uh, given that I wrote my dissertation with that framework, um, I think counter stories are so important because um, if we don't tell our stories, if we don't tell our struggles, um, we're never gonna really, I feel, be liberated, right? And I think that's a process of liberation um, for us to be able to be real, raw, authentic, with our stories um, because our stories, our experiences haven't ever really been centered. And so to make them centered, to call attention to them, I think the counter stories are so important because at this point, when we share a story, we're telling people like, you need to listen, right? Um, you need to make things better. You need to um, support, right? Um, or whatever it is that that our communities need. And so our counter stories, um, you know, their data, they're, 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 they're informing the way that we can change things, the way that we can make things more accessible. And so um, I, I feel like our counter stories um, can transform um, and change systems that have already been in place. So you mentioned a little bit about your dissertation with counter stories. And then we, as we were talking and getting reintegrated, Re reacquainted with each other, we talked about Greek life. What are the parallels that you see between Greek life and the community? Most definitely. So uh, definitely fraternity and sorority life. Um, I focused a lot on it in terms of the counter stories because of the way, uh, well, being part of a Latina-based sorority, being a founder at my chapter, um, I noticed that things weren't always equal for us. Um, the visibility on campus, um, 
through marketing, through the campus website, it always featured historically white fraternities and sororities. And our organizations already have low numbers, right? And, and the reason I think we have lower numbers than historically white ones is because we cultivate familia. So in the counter stories that, um, you know, students shared with me about their experience in historically um, Latinx, um, Chicanx fraternity and sorority life, um, they they basically told me that these were their only support mechanisms on campus. This is where they cultivated familia. This is where things were passed on, right? So they had older members that navigated the system and that were graduating. And so they were all able to, um, you know, develop that cultural capital, right? And and really share with each, with each other how to navigate, how to even um, apply for graduation or get free books, right? Like pass the wire. Like that was kind of like the idea is like, I'm gonna pass the wire on this. And, um, you know, a lot of what I saw is our organizations were doing a lot of the work of the institution to create safe spaces for um, students. Uh, um, and, there was no funding associated with that. There was no visibility. Um, even that, it was always the focus on historically white orgs because they brought in a lot of money. They had donors. Um, they could get away with doing things that weren't right because their lawyers would be on the line, right? Whereas historically multicultural organizations, they didn't have access to lawyers and to all of these things, right? Um, at the time that I did my research, a lot of them have you know, now instituted those things. But um, I just saw a very big disconnect in terms of the support services offered to them on a college campus, whereas their counterparts, their white counterparts were getting a lot more services. And so hearing their stories of how impactful these organizations have been to them as they navigated school, um, just showed me like there was a need to um, expose ways in which campuses could help students, right? Um, which is my implications for practice and advisors, things that advisors could do on college campuses to support students. And at the end, it wasn't just, um, you know, historically multicultural fraternities and sororities. It was all, um, you know, historically multicultural, ethnic-based um, organizations on campus, right? And, and so um, a lot of the students even shared that they occupied, they occupied many spaces. And so it wasn't just, you know, within fraternity and sorority life, it was also within their clubs and organizations. I definitely feel and saw the disparities, right? I, not only as a student, right, at, at my CSU, um, going through fraternity and sorority life, but then as a staff member at the time, right? So after graduation, I was a staff member at SDSU for at least 10 years. And I remember I was an advisor to Lambda Sigma Gamma Kappa chapter. And in my work though, I was also sort of club advising um, this business club, I'll just say. And the disparities were so huge. I will say that this business club for their holiday party, they had it at an event. I can't think of the name of it, but it was downtown San Diego on a rooftop like the minimum to book space there was like $10,000. They had a catered, complete like, you know, food and beverage package, music. It was like top of the line. And this was for, you know, college students, right? Right. And the flip of that was um, advising LSG where the chapter, like they were struggling to pick a restaurant that had a menu for $16 per, per sister. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, for, you know, 400 bucks, I can feed the whole chapter. And then 
this club on this side, which like you mentioned, they have donors, they have um, really, you know, high, like very wealthy alumni that are supporting them and that are giving them money like nothing. And all I need is like 400 bucks for the chapter and everyone can go to dinner for free, you know? And it, it was just, the disparities were, were very real and very blatant. Um, and that was just between different student orgs. I also think about who has space on campus, right? So I always think about who doesn't have space and what that communicates, right? Because mm -hmm. space is, you know, is huge. And so the fact that the multicultural orgs primarily like never had official houses on campus, um, I feel like that's pretty much everywhere, right? Like we, we know who um, who brings in the most money because they have they're actually on fraternity or sorority row, right? Right. Um, they have their letters in front of the building. Right. And you know, it's 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 um a visible, it's a visible thing as well in terms of space because um, so for instance, at at the campus I was at where I was an undergrad, I was at Cal State Northridge and um, we didn't have an advisor that like came to our meetings and told us like, hey, you can get free money or hey, you know, you need to submit paperwork to actually, you know, be in this space on campus, right? Um, our coming out shows, like even in earlier times, I remember um, some of the first organizations that had coming out shows were, you know, Sigma Lambda Beta and Sigma Lambda Gamma, and they would be in the parking lots. Um, because, you know, they didn't know how to navigate the physical campus, right? And so, you know, Lambda Theta Alpha, when we got onto campus, we were told by our nationals, our organization, right, you need to get campus permissions to do these things. And so we were the, one of the first orgs to have a coming out show in the middle of campus of the physical space, because we learned from our older sisters from other campuses that like you had to go to a Greek life office, right? But nobody like informed us. We were, we put in our paperwork to be a brand new organization. We got, you know, everything that we needed. And then it was like, okay, go ahead, function on your own. No one comes to, you know, council meetings to tell you all that this time of year you can request money from AS or, you know, do any of these things, right? And so they were already at a, um, like, less informed, right? Because they didn't know how to navigate the system. And so it was really interesting because it's like the physical space, yes, but also like the support and the visibility, right? Whereas I've seen Penhellenic historically white, you know, councils with white organizations. The Greek advisor was at their meetings every Monday, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's it, it like shows you that you know you're still less than. Like we still don't care about you as much, and we know you don't have money, and we know you don't know how to navigate the space, but we're not going to help you either. Right. Oh, that that was definitely obvious. Um, and I hope it's changed, right? It's, I hope that it, it that it's changed for the better. But that was. I going through it, I think as an active member and then seeing it as an alumni and then as you know, alumni slash advisor was it was definitely real, right? Having to advocate for ourselves on campus. Cause you do realize like there are staff members there, but they're there for, you know, the other orgs. They're not there, they're nece not necessarily there, necessarily there for us. Um, and so definitely having to navigate and sort of speak up to that. Um but thank you so much for sharing your insight with fraternity and sorority life. And I, I always see the parallels, right, between our orgs and how we're connected to community um, and how that's almost that, that peer to peer connection is so important. Like you said, um, that familial capital, the past of the wire. Um, how do we then 
continue that that like um that connection when it when we're in professional spaces so real briefly we talked about conferences and um those being in intimidated environments and i will say this too i know a lot of people don't believe me but i'm like i'm an introvert i get you know i think over the years i've been able to grow a community um in those spaces but i think initially like it, it is very overwhelming but what are your thoughts on on creating those spaces in in professional settings such as conferences definitely so um it's interesting i know we talked a little bit about conferencing and 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 our sentiments right and um I think it's it's interesting because I'm that person at every conference that tries to find everybody in fraternity and sorority life. Um, I definitely think that that is, I don't know, um, it gives me more insight to the person I feel. Um, also, it's not like I go look for people from historically white orgs, like to be very, very honest, I look for folks that were, you know, in NPHC orgs or like uh, multicultural orgs, right? And so, um, I think to me, when I find folks that were involved um, when they were in, in college or even just I ask you people, I usually ask them if they've been involved on campus at all, like when they were an undergrad, um, especially if they look familiar, because I feel like for me, that informs like what you've been about. Um, and so what I mean by that is usually people, especially back in the day that joined a lot of um, historically multicultural orgs. Um, they did research in terms of joining those organizations. Um, you know, a lot of those organizations do community work. Um, they stay involved in the community. A lot of them have mentorship programs where they uplift, you know, kids at an elementary or a high school or, you know, um, just different uh, philanthropies, I guess, um, that they had, right? And so for me, I guess to me, that shows me like you've been down for the community um, regardless of whatever spaces you've occupied, you know, you've, you've been there, you've done that work, you've supported. Um, and, and I think for me, that is really important because as I've navigated higher education over the 13, the last 13 years as a higher education professional, I feel like so many people jump onto bandwagons. And what I mean by that is we get a new buzzword in higher ed, and then all of a sudden everybody's about equity, you know? Uh, you get a new buzzword of like, oh, diversity, right? But there were people that have been doing this regardless whether it was cool or not. Um, there are people that have been marginalized for doing this for years, right? And so I think for me is like, um, I guess that's where I get to see who's real, right? Um, what you've done, I, I tend to ask a lot of people like, oh, how do you get involved in the community, right? And I think that informs a little bit of like the relationship I, I develop with people. Um, and for me, to be honest, academic spaces have been scary. Um, I think I've been in a lot of spaces where people are very fake. And um, anybody hearing my story, especially if they're coming from a fake perspective, um, I have to be careful because I can get um, pigeon held. I can get like, you know, put into a corner and categorized. Um, and it's just 
for Vanessa sharing her story of who she she is for real, right? Once you take off the academic regalia, once you take away the diplomas, right? Like who Vanessa is as a person, right? The things Vanessa has fought for as a person, um, I think are more important than what degrees she has or how she can speak in a in an academic setting, right? And I think a lot of these conferences for me is um. I've been, you know, I've been told at a conference, like, oh, don't you have a doctorate? You know, like, kind of saying, like, well, you shouldn't be talking that way. Um, or, like, kind of policing the way I explain things. Or um, even other people, like, throwing theories at me when we're just trying to have a conversation. Like, I'm talking about real stuff. And they're like, oh, I completely understand what you're saying. X, Y, and Z theory, blah, 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 blah. That's what it stipulates and this, this, and that. And I'm like, Cool. Like, it's great. Um, you know, and it's not that like, I, it's not that I can't get into those conversations. I can, but I feel like if we're having these conversations out in the community um, with maybe folks who haven't gotten an education, we're going to lose them. And so when we're really saying like, we're going to, you know, um, get educated or we're going to these spaces so that we can support you know the incoming students or the community that people forget right well we're not speaking their language anymore like we've forgotten it right and so I feel like a lot of people do get lost in the sauce right of higher ed and um I think for me is I try really hard not to get lost in the sauce um and I'm very very conscious of it because I am in the community and I am in the space, right? And so being in both, I constantly think twice. Like I'm in my mind most of the time of like, okay, if I was to explain this in a community, right? I, we're trying to get enrollment up, whatever it is, right? We're trying to outreach in these communities. We can't be using all these words. They're confusing. They're not gonna bring anyone in. They're gonna make them feel even more um, like they don't belong, right? Which is which is ironic because even with a doctorate degree and you know all these years of experience, sometimes I feel like I don't belong, right? Um, and so for me, it's it's very difficult, I think, in navigating these conferences um, and just being able to be real and authentic because I feel like at any point, any wrong word will rub someone the wrong way, or you know. Um, the term chola for for sure like if I could I mean this is a whole other segment I'm sure but if I could even tell you what I went through trying to get um you know la chola conference onto a community college campus like oh like well might you be able to change the name that name is a little abrasive you know and it's just like whoa um and so there's a lot of criminality right like around terms around our our physical bodies, our physical beings. Um, and so, and I understand too, because there are a lot of people that were maybe on the other end of that trauma, right? Maybe they were bullied by somebody that looked like me, right? Or maybe they, um, you know, something happened in their community, right? And so everybody comes with a different experience and I understand that. Um, but I think that's where, you know, I think these conference spaces, I don't think they really allow for those like meaningful conversations. Sometimes they, they, they keep it everything surface level. Um, and it's just like, here's the research, here's the data, and this is where you should keep going, right? Um, and so I feel like in these conference settings, sometimes it can be difficult to navigate, right? And to really find um, the people that are really, you know, here for the, for the people, for the, for the real people, you know, that are out there. Mm -hmm. Wow, you said so, so much. I I just came back from a conference this last weekend and what stood out was 
me being microaggressed in the elevator. So I get in the elevator. There are these two white men and they're trying to have conversation with me. And I really don't care. I don't I, to have a conversation with them. I'm just like, I want to get to my room. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I don't feel like small talk right now. Okay. They, but they're trying to engage. And so they said something and I'm like, mm-hmm, and that's it. And they're like, oh, no, hablo inglés. I'm like, wow, wow, really? Mm. I go, oh, no, I do speak English. I just don't want to talk to you right now. And then the door opens and I leave. But I'm like, I can't believe that this is happening to me. Like, that, you know what I mean? Like, at, <laughs> excuse me, at like a higher ed conference, you're being microaggressed in the middle, you know, of going to your room. And it was, it was, it was really um, interesting because yeah that happens in these spaces right and it's a matter of oh guys there's so so many ways I want to go with this but I I do feel like conferencing what I've come to the realization is that there's a certain point in the evening where I don't want to I'll be honest I don't want to talk and kiki with someone I don't know like Mm -hmm. I don't want it's 10 o'clock at night I've been networking the whole day my brain is fried I don't want to tell you about myself. Mm-hmm. I want to hang out with people who already, who don't even want to know about my research, who don't, who just want to <laughs> chill. That's who mm-hmm. I want to hang out with. Like, you already know me. You already know the family. Like, we're just hanging out, like, you know, vibing. Those, there becomes a certain part in the day where like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> and I, I just want to kick it with people who I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you, you did mention uh, La Chola Conference. And I, which is part of one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out and have you on the podcast. Like I've heard so much about it for, for a few years now. Right. And I think when it, it first launched, please tell me if I'm wrong. It was, it was launching and then the pandemic happened because yes. I think I was about to go to it in Maricosta college. And then yes. I don't know that it shifted online. I'm, I can't recall exactly what happened there, but I know that we, I think just what, a couple of weeks ago, you yeah. had um, the physical one. So please tell me, um, tell me about La Chola Conference. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, La Chola Conference, um, the initial one that was supposed to be at a college campus was supposed to be in 2019. Uh, or actually, we we ex- we marketed it in 2019 to have it April 2020. Okay. Um, yes. And then the pandemic hit and um, we were not able to have it at a physical campus. Um, we did then change it um, to have it on Zoom in um 2021 so that was the um the initial one um with the group that we currently have I do want to acknowledge um Madeline Alviso Ramirez and um Vanessa Alviso their sisters out of Washington they actually started um the actually uh, uh, their other sister as well uh, Lala they started the Chola Pinup um network years years ago and then also moved to Chola Vida so that's how we all know each other um they had a Chola Bruja conference I believe in 2015 but this one with this mission this vision the values there was five of us that co-created this um to happen and um when we in, initiated it we wanted Cholas to exist in academic space right like we wanted um to have it at a college and so that was um the first one we were supposed to have at Miracosta um didn't happen and so we had it via zoom and uh we still had a really great turnout we had a lot of submissions um and then this past year we actually had a homegirl who went to the first one um who's also my um Raza Unida sister um she um 
hit us up and was like, bring it, let's bring it to Colorado. And um, shout out to Gabby Rios at Colorado at CU Boulder. She made the whole thing happen. Like on campus, uh, we had rooms, we had conference space, um, we had food, um, you know, so she she really organized all of that on her campus. And really, La Chola Conference was supposed to be a space where Cholas could come together and, and nerd out, you know, like be nerdy, like talk about... Um, you know, for years, a lot of us in Chola Pinup, like, we had been navigating academia, we would come into, you know, Chola Pinup spaces and talk about, you know, our disconnect with the system, with with people, um, with, you know, academics. And so um, it, it really, I think, evolved from, like, even those conversations, like, of just stressing out about assignments and navigating school. And then um, the homegirl, Madeline Alviso, she's the one who... Um, coined the term scholar um, with the capital Chola in the middle. Um, and so, you know, she created a shirt and the proceeds of the shirt would go to a scholarship for a homegirl navigating academia. And I was the first recipient of the scholarship. And so it really was conversations, I think, over time that were happening about um, you know, trying to go to school and navigate just being ourselves, but like constantly being told like we can't be, you know, you have to code switch and you have to look a certain way and you have to, you know, act a certain way. And so that was really our space. Like Chola Pinup was really that space, I think, for me, where I was able to come and talk to like real homegirls, you know, and like talk about how we felt and also talk about statistics about random stuff. And that's what the Chola conference, like we wanted it to be about with a space where we met all these cholas, right? That like, like we're looking for a space, right? Where they could come and like share knowledge and like share information, but also create like, um, you know, a, a sisterhood in a sense too from this experience. And so that's really what the Chola conference was. Like we had homegirls, um, you know, presenting on different things. Um, wasn't your traditional, like you have to present in this way with whatever you wanted to do, however you wanted to do it a conference where you didn't have to dress professional, you could wear whatever you wanted. Um, you know, if we wanted to, um, you know, make noise or like shout or like, you know, laugh out loud, like whatever, like this was a space where there was no policing like at all, you know? And so um, it was really great like to be in person, to be honest, uh, the first year, well, the first initial year technique when we had it on Zoom, I don't think you you could really feel the vibe that we had this year. And so this year was so dynamic. Like we got to really like, even after just talking, like people coming up to us, like, let's talk, like, let's talk more about what something you said or at lunches, you know, it was just like, well, we could just talk about our own experiences, you know, to be real, like, yeah, we presented on certain things and sure there were questions about some of those presentations, but I think the realness came from like talking about, um, how we navigate certain things, you know, even our, our, our um, closing keynote, um, you know, Vero, she um, was part of Chola Pinup as well. I've known her for years. And, you know, she talked about her own struggle in like trying to, you know, make a perfect keynote for everyone because that's what she's been conditioned to do, right? Like it has to be perfect. I have to have it like spelled out, written out, right? And like, we had a whole moment the night before that um, all together, the conference organizers, we all stayed together and there was a whole moment surrounding that. And like, 
I I totally felt her pain and and I and I told her it's because you just got your doctorate like you feel stuck because the academics want you to act a certain way and your heart wants to be somewhere else and you're trying you're struggling right now to like have both mesh because we've been told that they can't and so like we had a whole moment and like I think that's that's the beauty I think of the Chola conference like it it is this space where you can have real conversations and not be scared that another academic is going to be like well she doesn't know what she's talking about like she doesn't say these words so she's not very smart you know I feel that I feel that like the conditioning and a lot of unlearning right like I'm probably like two years out from the doc, but I feel like I'm unlearning a lot of these social norms that I've been told I got to do, right? I got to look a certain way. I got to act a certain way. I can't like a certain music. I got to hide my tattoos. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to perform all the time. Like it's exhausting. And you're like, I just want to be me in this space, right? And at some point you also only want to be with people who are going to be let you be without judgment right like right now it's like I'm all about no judgment zones if you like if you're not going to judge me we can kick it (laughs) and that's it because it's it's a lot of unlearning because we've had to navigate these spaces and code switch for so many years and I think part of it is like losing a sense of who we are but trying to hold on to it so so tight right Mm -hmm. and the reason why um thank you so much for telling me about La Tola Conference because I've heard so much about it for the past couple years and Every time that there's a call for proposals, people would send it to me. They would DM it, send it, email it. And they're like, hey, I think you should, you know, submit something or whatnot. And I always thought I didn't belong in that space anymore. And the, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to episode one, but we talked about, like, I feel so far removed from mm-hmm. the streets, right? And I feel like maybe that's not my space anymore. And am I taking up space? I think that's where I'm more concerned. Like, I don't want to take up space from from somebody who needs that space, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm very just mindful of like my position positionality now and like what that means to like take up space from somebody else. And I was talking with somebody in LA just a couple of days ago because she heard that episode. She goes, you know, we need you in those spaces, right? Like we need all of y'all so that we could see like that we can matriculate through higher ed. And when she's and she okay, the person who said that to me is actually um on episode three. So that episode just dropped like right before we got on live. But it's, and she's an undergrad transfer student at UCR right now. And so it's just a lot of like hearing, you know, hearing like, I don't know, kind of like healing to a lot of healing, I think, like, because having gone through academia and higher ed, you're just constantly navigating two worlds, right? You're navigating your home community, and then you're navigating this community um, on campus. And for me, it wasn't until I got into my doc program where I was tired of navigating both of them. Like they're going to blend mm-hmm. and whether you like it or not, I'm going to force this to blend because this is my reality. Um, and I think that's when I started to move in like more unapologetically me, right? Mm-hmm. And starting to be like, no, I don't, you know, I don't care that you want to call me and make fun of me for saying that I look like a chola, like that's supposed to be a bad thing. You know, like if I mm-hmm. wear a flannel, like, oh, you know, it's just like, that's your that's your dig at me, but that's, you know, that's how I look. Right. Like, right. It's, it's interesting. Interesting. Um, right. Thank you. I, thank you for that. I think, um, to what, to what you said, um, a lot of people didn't know, I think the beginning, like, is this a space for them? I think we, we got that question a lot. Um, and I think what I'll say to that is that, um, 
I think for some people, the the space was very healing. So I think a lot of people that went said, you know, I've stripped away pieces of myself. And it was like a reflective moment um, where, you know, like I really appreciated being here and seeing people that are able to be in their full authenticity and keep it real because I've realized that maybe there's been instances in, in which I haven't, right? And so I think it, it's, um, it's or, or like where I haven't been able to, right? And so I think a lot of people that did go, it was a very healing space. Um, and I, I will say that even for our presenters, like all of our presenters didn't have degrees. Like we had community members present, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't, um, it wasn't like a, like it really like, you have to have a degree or a title to like be a presenter, you know? And so I think it was this collective learning from each other. Um, I think that was really, really special. But I think um, one thing I will say is that we're very, we're very um, um, focused on the, on the subject topic. So like, if we have a theme, like, well, we had a theme every year, right? So like, if we get conference proposals that are completely outside of the theme, we won't accept them. Um, because they we want to talk about like a certain topic right and because we want all the platicas to kind of be around that topic and so what we noticed is that we would get a lot of proposals um initially or, or people talking about like the criminal the criminal chola right mm -hmm. and so um our point in having this conference is to create visibility for the chola and all the intersections of her life right and so um I think like you know when we when we talk about like that space is like nobody is um criminalized right like nobody is um pushed out nobody is shut out of the space and so um we've even been talking about how as this conference committee right as people who have put this together um that we should be people that you know colleges and universities look to to you know um get consultations from to do consulting work um especially as we think about the increase of students that we're going to be having in the next couple of years especially from like barrio communities raza students right um and so i think you know even looking at next year like there's something that we do want to do in terms of possibly inviting um you know, other higher ed, you know, professionals to like to um, maybe be on a different track and like do some learning um, to unlearn, right? Some of the uh, prejudices, discrimination, right, that they have. And so um, there's a lot of questions I think that we've gotten from it of like, whose space is this and who belongs? And like, you know, right now it is a very sacred space. Um, and so it's it's difficult because we're getting, you know, we're getting inquiries in so many different places and um, we're having to figure that out, right? Because we don't wanna lose um, the authenticity um, of, of the conference itself and the space that it can be, because, you know, we have like, we had like veteranas come through, you know, who, um, you know, did talk about how they had kind of removed themselves and stopped calling themselves Chola because it is so criminal, right? Um, it is just looked at, you know, in this very, very uh, negative sense, right? And so um, even how them being there that weekend, like allowed them to reclaim their identity and to fall in love again with their identity and be themselves. Um, and so I think, you know, it is, I think it's a place for, 
even people who are looking for that healing, um, who have, you know, in the past been marginalized because they said they were a chola or because they looked, you know, like a chola too much, right? Or they they embraced it too much. That's beautiful that y'all have been able to create the space because it definitely has been stigmatized, right? And there's definitely huge stereotypes around what a chola is and what it's, you know, what it's not and um, how someone speaks and, and just not to lose that, right? Um, that they speak a certain way that, you know, it's, I, I'm glad that, that y'all have created that space. Um, talk to me a little bit about barrio mentorship. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so that really um, came about from um, just me being in, I think, a lot of higher ed conferences, um, also um, trying to find people to keep it real with me about uh, navigating certain interview settings or um, college settings, right? So, um, you know, as I've interviewed and, and you know, tried to look for other positions within higher ed, I've, um, I think I've had a, a little bit of a hard time finding um, mentors in other spaces maybe like schools I've applied to right that like would actually tell me for real for real what was happening there um and so I've had a few mentors I think that were finally you know people from the hood that like that you know we learned about each other we became friends and then they became my mentors to be honest like um and I will say you know I have uh, three people that have really helped me, I think, in just keeping it real. And, um, you know, uh, two of them for sure are on the panel um, on Monday. And, um, you know, the other um, I met at the Chola conference. Um, and to me, it's really about um, getting through the dirt, right? Like it's really about getting to the raw realness of what this is going to look like or what this setting looks like and what it expects from you, right? But also um, in figuring out ways to dismantle that. So as mentors, right, as people that can mentor our homies um, or homitos, homitex, right, in the communities, um, we got to keep it real, right, with what we know. So if we're looking to, if higher ed, we definitely know we still got to put on a face. Like it, it has not changed. And I don't care how many times, you know, people will say in an interview, like this campus is all about equity and we want to know your real story. You know, tell us why, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like they really don't want to know the real you. Like you cannot tell them that you were out, you know, right. Like in the community and you're doing all this grassroots work and you're trying to liberate an entire, you know, entire peoples and you like, you cannot say that still. Right. And so it's basically taking that mentorship role to another level. It's saying like right now, as the institution stands, like, even if they're telling you they, they want you to keep it real, you got to keep it PG. You got to keep it just, just surface level in those interviews. Nobody really wants to know the real, right? Like they do not. And so it's also then moving the conversation to, but how are you going to make sure that once you're in that role, that you're, you're changing it, right? Because I think, you know, there's a little older generation in front of us still that they're still, they're the gatekeepers right now. Um, they're still, you know, at those hiring circles, they're still the ones making the decisions and they're still the ones thinking you still need to change. And, and it's very evident because um, I hear it in a sense of, 
even people that are high level positions are still like, you want to be, you, what is it? You want to be authentic, but make sure you know how to code switch. You cannot be authentic if you're code switching. Like those two things in one sentence, like they just, they're, they're not going to go. Like to me, it doesn't make sense. Like to me, it's like, okay, be authentic, be real, but like learn to say it in this other way that's going to be more tangible for them, right? And so for me, it's like, okay, like that's how you have to operate within higher ed, right? But there's other industries that you don't have to operate like that. And like, you do not have to pretend to be someone that you're not, right? Or someone that's um, to their liking, right? And so I think like for, for us, as we move into what real barrio mentorship looks like, it's also that motivation piece of like, okay, this is what you have to do to just get in. But once you're in, this is what you should do to move us forward, right? Because I think the next generation that's coming up after us, they're not down with the fakeness at no. all. So I'm ready us, for it. I'm ready for that. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So us, us like in, you know, this, this like, I guess, millennial age, right? Like the millennials, like it's our responsibility to move the needle, right? It's our responsibility to move it um, so that the next generation isn't having to struggle as hard, right? And to be honest, if we really think about who these institutions are serving or they're supposed to serve, it's the students, right? And like, you hear this from administrators all the time. I'm here for the students. I'm here for the students, right? Mm. And you're like, you're not. You're not because you're still policing the way you want students to show up because you're policing us, right? And so they don't think that like, they, I've heard too, like, oh, staff like need staff and faculty, like they need to get it together and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, they're asking for too much and this is not, I'm like, you you need to understand that everything's connected. Like you say you care about the students. Well, guess what happens when students graduate? They occupy a lot of these jobs. So what, you only cared about them while they were a student, right? And so it, it doesn't, like, it, it doesn't um, correlate, right? And to me, it's just barrio mentorship is taking it to the next level. It's empowering us to be ourselves um, and to take up the space in these settings to to then allow for our students to be able to be who they are. Because when the students are seeing everybody else act fake, like, oh, you know, <clears throat> I see this person on campus and they don't know if they can come up to them, right? Like I could just imagine seeing a, a, in college, like somebody on campus that looked like me, like legit, like winged eyeliner hoops, like I would have been like, oh my God, like this is the person I need to talk to, right? Like this is someone who can help me, who can keep it real, right? Mm -hmm. But we're not allowed to look like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like they're still telling us that we're not allowed to look like that. So you're saying you want to support the students. Like we have research, like, and then they say we're data-driven, right? We want other research. We have research that indicates that students need to see <laughs> themselves represented, not just with people, but physical buildings and structures right and so you know it's a it's a big disconnect and I think for me that's what barrio mentorship is it's saying like this is the disconnect right now right and um we need to stop acting in this way once we're in right yeah. and I think too many people again get lost in the sauce and they're so eager to just want a high level position or want like the next thing they're just like I'm just gonna act 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 and let me tell you what happens is when you keep acting you completely lose yourself and how is your life going to be once you've completely lost who you are 
you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be good to yourself and you're not going to be good to anybody else because then you're just going to continue perpetuating that for the generations to come. And you're going to keep teaching them that they cannot be themselves ever. All of that, all of that, all of that. Because I've always thought like, I remember like leaving when I was a staff member, I would leave and drive home and I'm like, at what point do I stop code switching and just, and, and just become right. Like, because at some point you're like, I'm code switching here, I'm code switching there, but then you're not being authentic. You're not, um, you're not there doing what you initially thought you were doing, right? Which would be, you know, fighting, fighting for certain student populations or whatnot. And it's, I think right now I'm a junior faculty and I will say a lot of my peers are the, the next generation above me. And so I'm definitely the only like millennial faculty that we see. And a lot of my students, I have a list right now of five students who want me to chair their dissertation. And that's a lot, right? And part of me is like, because they don't see themselves in the others, right? They see themselves in me. Mm-hmm. And then you think about like the burden that that's, that that puts on me to get these right. students through. I'm going to take it though. I'm going to do it. I have a plan for them. We're going to do a group, a group type of familial workshop and I'm going to get them through but that's a lot of that's a lot to carry on someone's shoulders right and like you said like the stats we know what the stats are we know that the stats and the data tells us that our students need to look like us and then you have these folks that occupy the space that honestly they just need to like up and retire like if you're done (laughs) quote-unquote serving your student then you need to go (laughs) if you're not and I trust me I've been told already I'm the radical what did they call me? Like the radical one from California. I'm like, you haven't even, I mean, I, I give you like a little bit. I haven't even said what I wanted to say. I, I'm giving it to you in small bites because y'all would choke if I told you what I really felt. Right. Mm-hmm. And you earlier, you talked about like buzzwords and equity and I'm how I threw out equity once in a meeting and then they, they caught on to it like a buzzword. And they're like, Oh, you know, we should focus on equity as a specialization. I'm like, no, 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 no. Y'all are not ready. Y'all are not ready because if we have comps in a way that is harm, like first off, the fact that we even have comps, right? Like abolish comps. Um, that tells you right now, right there, all you need to know that the program is not equitable. If you're continuing to gatekeep and have these, you know, quote unquote milestones for students, all you're doing is holding them back. Right. I think what hurts the most is when the people who are gatekeeping our students look like us like that's when you're like shit that 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 one that hurts a little that stings because on the outside you're like oh I have advocates like you know they they look like me and then once like for me like once I crossed over I'll say and I'm sitting at the meeting with them I'm like oh they wow like they're really not about it like they they're the ones upholding you know whiteness and white supremacy and and all of these you know fucked up policies like Mm -hmm. they're the ones upholding it and kind of intentionally right I'm going to say it's intentional right um for whatever reason in their mind that they gotta the other that's why I kind of connected to Greek life we go back to like fraternity sorority I kind of feel like okay they went through it this way and so then the next generation has to go through it that way Mm. and I'm like you know not necessarily like the point is I think we went through it mm-hmm. so that the next generation doesn't have to go through it that way right right like, not to gatekeep information and whatnot 
I want to um, I want to ask you. So the like mod, the kind of like tagline of the podcast is the game is to be told, not sold. What does that mm-hmm. mean to you? I think for me, the game is to be told, not sold is a lot of, I think, how I've lived my life, right? It's um, getting the knowledge, getting the info and just passing it, passing it, like passing the wire, you know, Um, I'm not expecting um, any, you know, anybody to pay me. I'm not expecting to get paid off this. Um, I think, you know, like Monday, like the workshop is completely free like these are things that I'm trying to make accessible to people in our communities um, that maybe don't have access um, that are too scared to go to a college campus um, to ask questions Um, so I think you you make it free right like you make this information accessible um, to anyone um, that wants to hear it right instead of saying like well in order to you know, if you want a consultant to walk you through the college <laughs> process, here, come pay for this, right? And like, how many times are people in our barrios like usually, you know, sought out for stuff like that? You know, um, I, I think about this this kid I, I went to undergrad with, uh, definitely started um, a consulting business and was taking on students for like, and I was like wow like that's expensive you know um I wouldn't have even been able to afford this so it just kind of reminds me of that and how like everything should be free all the knowledge sharing should be free if it's knowledge if it's info like it should be free um and so I think that's what I um I will say with that I think um the one thing I don't agree with though is like when institutions or like whole institutions um, you know, want to hear your story and want you to go motivate an entire group. And they're in an affluent place in San Diego that has a lot of money and they do not want to pay you to come and be a speaker, right? But everybody else, like, you know, college day speakers or, um, you know, commencement speakers, they get paid mad money. These institutions have mad money, right? But it's always like people in our communities that they don't want to pay. Um, so I think that's different. Um, I think when it's whole entities that want to learn from you and, and kind of learn your traumas too, like, I definitely think that those entities should you know at least offer something but I think in terms of everything we've learned like we should be passing it off to anyone in our communities and I I I try to do that in any spaces that I occupy um out in the community um you know within you know my local environment as well students that live on my block whatever it is right um you share that information so that um, it becomes more accessible to them, right? I think that's what that means. Thank you for sharing that. And even like if there is somebody who's inside, they can tell you, right? Like, I'll be honest, there was one institution that asked me to speak and it's, it was a paid gig and I, I didn't know what to charge, right? This was a couple of years ago. And so I was like, um, 500 bucks? Like, I don't know, right? And then they texted me immediately and they were like, no, we don't have a budget. And I was like, okay, so $700, like, I I didn't know what to ask for, right, Mm -hmm. and I I go, honestly, I go, I've never done this before, just tell me, like, where, like, where am I missing or hitting the mark, Mm -hmm. and then they gave me a call, and they go, you know, realize, like, your work, right, and the amount of work that's going to go into, and a formula, then they helped me come up with a, a game plan, but it was, like, 
$1,500 for a 90 minute presentation. And I couldn't believe it, right? That they wanted to pay me that. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, they invited me back and they're like, the, like, you know, Fat Joe said, like yesterday's price wasn't today's price. Like <laughs> add 200 more dollars. I'm like, are you sure? And then also realizing like what spaces can get, give you that, what spaces should be paying you that mm-hmm. amount? And then what spaces, you know, like you're happy to do it for free, right? Right. And, and, and kind of, um, like on a scale, right? So right. I think it, and it, it is for though, like those, those scholar homies, I would say that are in the institution that can kick back that information to us and let us know like, hey, this is the insight, like I'm, I'm managing the budget or there is no budget or this is the budget on that. Um, and they can really help us because we are navigating these spaces for the first time. Like, I don't have anyone in my family who's ever, you know, had to submit an invoice for this or whatnot. So I, I wouldn't know what to charge. Um, right. I, brings, I, I, feel, I feel you on that. And I think that's that's the difference. Like I kind of started off the same way. And right now I'm whatever I get from speaking or donations or any shirts that I sell um, is what I'm using to survive right now. Right. And um, but the thing is, too, is like next week I'll be speaking at a continuation school for free because I know continuation schools don't have fun- funds. Right? right. But like, you know, the workshop is free. Like those things are free. Like whenever it involves students, it's it's free, right? And whenever whole entities come at me, though, I'm like, okay, I know you have a budget somewhere, right? Yeah. So, um, but also, I think I've also been, in a sense, like, lowballed in that way, too, where I'm like, oh, I don't know what to charge either, so let me just charge this, and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, great, well, you're, you're so affordable, right? And I'm like, wait, what does that mean? Like, were people yeah. charging you more? Like, you know, so it was a learning process, like for me too. And even just knowing that, because I think a lot of times what I did get hit up for was um, a lot of these universities and colleges that were trying to get me to come for free. And I was like, wait, like, you don't have anything. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go talk to the students, you know, and I've, I've done that. I've done a lot, a lot of them for free, because I didn't know at the time that I should be asking, right, to get paid for these. Yeah. Well, I, I want to be mindful of time, but we've had such a good conversation. I wanted to ask you, what does a scholar homie mean to you? A scholar homie means to me um, someone who um, is learning about something, has knowledge on something, um, and is just passing the wire on it, um, you know, and it doesn't even ha- like, I'm not even talking about institutionalized knowledge. I'm just talking about any type of knowledge. Like I've had friends that do crafts and they tell me about how they, you know, do how they do that and how they mold certain things um, to do their art. Right. And I think I think that's a scholar, homie. Um, You know, I think someone who's just willing to share like what they do and how they do it um, and has different knowledge than me. Right. Like um, or has a different um, insight into a topic than I do. Right. It's somebody that you can just have a conversation with and like nerd out with. I think that's a that's a scholar homie. I think someone that like keeps it real um, and doesn't feel like they really have to talk to you a certain way or use, you know, all these academic terms to like express themselves. Um, I think that person that like just keeps it real authentic um, and just shares knowledge. I think that's a scholar homie. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to wrap up the podcast with a little bit of this or that. So I'll ask you like two things and you just pick one and you could tell me why or why not. Um, oldies or freestyle music? Oh, both. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the vibe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. If I'm cruising like oldies, if like I want to dance freestyle for sure. Okay. Okay. 
Um, CSUN or USD? CSUN. Go okay. Matadors. There you go. <laughs> Selena or Bad Bunny? Selena. I love it. Chola or Chingona? Chola. Okay. Chola Any... already implies Chingona, so. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Any last words for anyone who's listening? Um, yeah, I guess, um, I guess as we continue to navigate these systems and realize, you know, they're still not where they should be. I just, um, I just want to say, I feel like the more real we keep it with each other, um, the more real the system will become. And so if we don't lose ourselves, um, we take those opportunities to check ourselves and our consciousness, check on ourselves to see where maybe we've assimilated. If we're able to check those things in time, we won't become them, right? And so I think our purpose is to be ourselves, but also um, to know that the next generation that comes after us, um, that's what they want. They want to be liberated. They want to be able to be themselves. And I think we have an opportunity here to liberate, you know, um, our communities and um, to liberate, you know, education and um, really make it for the people um, that are coming. They are what's going to change, I think, also the educational system to continue making it more accessible and continue making sure that more of our people, um, more of our barrios are uplifted and they don't just access the institutions, but they're actually graduating from these institutions or reaching their goals um, as they navigate these spaces. Thank you so, so much for this sharing space with me today. And I really appreciate your time and we're gonna uplift you. So everyone, I'll drop the socials in the episode notes so they can follow you and check you out. And all the homies that are that are in, you know, going to have spaces, like definitely hit her up and see how they can bring you to campus for paid opportunities. We got to uplift you. Yes, thank um, you so much. But I mean, I'll still be sharing the free stuff. Yes. Um, I plan to have workshops every couple of weeks with um, the launch of the Homita Network, which is the mentorship program. So uh, we're starting on Monday with Barrio Mentorship. So yeah, stay tuned. And hopefully, you know, we get more homies in those spaces so that we can find each other too, right? Um, that's also a process of finding each other. Absolutely. Thank you so much.